0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. To 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Throughout history and throughout Scripture, you will find that God has the most amazing capacity to use the weakest, the lowliest, the most insignificant, the most unlikely, the most unqualified people to change their world. Washington Carver... Was born in slavery. And he was sold for an old horse. But he became one of America's most famous scientists. He asked God one time, he says, God, reveal to me the secrets of the universe. He was a big thinker, wasn't he? But God didn't reveal the secrets of the universe, but he revealed to him the secrets of the peanut. And he discovered over 300 uses for the humble peanut. And it made him famous throughout America. Dwight Lyman Moody, as a young man, gave his life to Christ. was through a Sunday school teacher. Sunday school teacher knew where he worked. He worked in a shoe shop. And the Sunday school teacher... Went to the shoe shop, looked in the window, saw him, thought I need to share the gospel with this young man. But because there was customers about, he walked away, then he came back again, and he wasn't there. He was in the back room. So he went in, went into the back room, shared the gospel, got him saved. And very shortly after that, he went to the, the Bible study. And he thumbed his way through Genesis to try to find the gospel of John. That's how little he knew about the word of God. A year later, he applied to join Mount Vernon Congregational Church. And they turned him down because he knew so little of the Christian gospel and the word of God. And they turned him down. (laughs) Eventually, They did let him join. And D.L. Moody became one of the greatest preachers the world has ever known. The time he died, he had spoken to more people face to face than any other preacher in history. 100 million people he had reached for Christ. Wonderful church Great Bible school to this day, named after him, that he started. And he had very little of an education. It is said that people used to go to hear him preach. And they laughed at him when he stumbled over words. He came to Britain to preach one time, and there was a special service set up for him. And the dignitaries were there. There was even a member of the royal family and he preached from a scripture and there's one particular word Elias and he couldn't pronounce it he tried three times couldn't do it in front of everybody he closed his eyes he lifted his heart to heaven he says Lord he says bless the stammering tongue (laughs) and went on that day to preach the greatest sermon he ever preached it touched so many hearts God can use people like that. Billy Graham got saved as a young man. And he and a, another young friend, they were selling brushes, floor brushes, in the summertime they try to raise some money for their for their school fees. And another young man who was a friend but who was an evangelist invited him to come to a prison where he was going to be preaching. Billy Graham had never been in prison before. And so they went along. And after the young evangelist finished preaching, he turned around, said to Billy Graham, he says, Billy, give your testimony. He'd never done that before either. And so he gave his testimony. And little did he know or his two friends know or any of those prisoners know that he would go on to become one of the greatest world evangelists. Again, a man that has preached to more people face-to-face than any other living person. He just started out just as a young man giving his testimony. Or Roberts was a terrible stammerer. Uh, his stutter was awful. And he had tuberculosis. And they feared for his life. But God healed him of TB. And God healed his stammer. And he went on to become one of the greatest healing evangelists of his generation. He saw every miracle imaginable. Every known disease was healed under his ministry. And today, even though he's gone to the glory, both he and his wife, his university that he built... Is still going on, and I have been told on several occasions that the students that go to ORU or Roberts University that they're in such demand that almost all of them has a job before they ever leave the university. Not bad for a young boy with a stammer and TB. Yeah, Gypsy Smith was born in a tent. Never had been to school a day in his life. His dad was a believer. His brother was a believer. He got saved when he was just a boy. He said that when he got saved, he had this tremendous desire to to read the Bible, but he couldn't read. Never been taught to read. He says when he lifted the Bible up to look at it, to read it, often it was upside down. That's how bad it was. But he stuck at it, and he persisted, and God helped him. And Gypsy Smith became a great, great evangelist. Preached not over all over Britain, but in Europe and Asia and Australia and America. Some of the greatest preachers of his his day uh, invited him to their churches. And he was a completely uneducated man, but he is such a gift and such an evangelist that he touched multitudes for God's glory. Smith Wigglesworth was a well, he ended up, he was a plumber. He had different jobs before that, but he was a plumber. And God used him. And he hadn't got a great education either. But God used him as a mighty man of faith. And it's said that when he died, that there was at least 14 cases, verified cases of people that was raised from the dead through his ministry. He was fearless in his faith. Amos 7, 14 and 15. Amos said, I was no prophet, nor was I the son of a prophet. But I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. God takes the lowly. Those who are not to bring to naught the things that are. Peter was a fisherman. Never had been taught at any of the rabbinical schools. And that was the amazing thing to the Jews. But here was a man, a humble fisherman, never had sat under the feet of rabbis at a rabbinical school. And yet when he preached his first sermon, thousands got saved. And he became a giant in the New Testament days. Abraham was a pagan, brought up in a pagan household. But God met with him, and he believed God. And he became the father of the Hebrew people, the Jewish people. Gideon was hiding from the Midianites, threshing out a little wheat in the wine press so that he couldn't be seen. The Midianites would wait until it was harvest time, then they would swoop in, and he would strip the land of the harvest. So before they would do that, he would hide and get a little bit of cereal. And to such a man God comes to, and said, you're a mighty man of valor. Didn't feel like it, didn't think it, but he was. And God used him as a mighty man of valor. God made him a great judge. He had 32,000 fighting men under his command, and God said, it's too many. And God whittled them down to 300. And the Midianites, the Bible says, of course, exaggerating, said that they were as the sand of the seashore, (laughs) in number, innumerable, and yet that 300 defeated them. Shamgar was a farmer. All he had as a weapon was a big long pole with a pointy end, a goad, an ox goad, something to jab the cattle to keep them moving. And with that, he killed 600 men when the Spirit of God came on him. Of course, God used the nobility of Daniel, the royalty of Isaiah, the priestly heritage of Ezekiel and Jeremiah. But generally speaking, generally speaking, God takes the ordinary and he makes it Extraordinary. He takes the water, he turns it into wine. He multiplies the bread and the fishes. He puts treasure into earthen vessels. He takes the Jacob, he turns them into Israel's, the Simons into Peter's, the Saul's into Paul's, because he loves to do that. That no flesh should glory in his presence. <laughs> C.H. Spurgeon, when he was just a very young man, he was preaching to thousands. He built that great Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. Maga church seated 5,000 people. He would fill that out every Sunday. In fact, they told the people once a quarter, the members, not to come to church so that visitors could come. And that Sunday, every seat of those 5,000 were filled just with visitors. But it said... From time to time, people heard him when he walked out of his vestry, as it were, into that great hall. Now, this was an era when they didn't have microphones. He didn't even have an organ. Just him preaching. No choir, nothing. And it said that from time to time, people heard him when he walked out of that room to step into that pulpit. They heard him saying, under his breath, oh, God, please help me. <laughs> Because no matter how good he was and how gifted he was and how God was using him mightily, in his heart he felt, unless God helps me, I can't do this. What are some of the prerequisites for God to use you? First of all, recognize that God has got a particular purpose for your life. A th- I think, uh, given the credit, I think that it was the late Dr. Teo Eddie Amy in London who said this, that you're the solution to somebody's problem. You're the answer to somebody's prayer. You're the supply to somebody's need. You're the hope for somebody's despair. You're the faith for somebody's fear. You're the cure for somebody's care. David and Psalm 139, Isaiah 49, Jeremiah 1, Galatians 1, Ephesians 1, the prophets and Paul all said that God has chosen you before the foundation of the world. And he's chosen you for a purpose. Now, I don't know what that does to you, but that does a lot to me. Because sometimes you... Sometimes we put ourselves down so much. Sometimes we wonder, what good am I for? (laughs) What possible use can God see in me? What am I doing that's of any value? And it's good then to remember that God has got a purpose for your life from before you were ever born. He has a specific purpose for each and every individual, and it's wonderful. Bill Wilson, twelve-year-old boy, lived in Brooklyn, in the worst part of it, the most dangerous, roughest neighborhood imaginable. His mother one time said to him, "Son, I want you to come with me," and she took him out to one of the main streets in Brooklyn. He says, I want you to sit there. I'll come back later and get you. He sat all day. But she didn't come back to get him. He sat all day the next day. Same place, same time. But she didn't come back to get him. He sat all day the third day. All day. Waiting for his mother to come. As she promised. But she didn't come. In fact, she never came. The first day he sat there, a gentleman, a Christian gentleman, was driving his car to work, and he saw the boy sitting. Because it was early in the morning, he thought, well, that's a little bit unusual. wonder why he's sitting there at this time in the morning. So he went to his work. He drove past. He was even more surprised he was still sitting. Next day, Still sitting. The man came home from work the second day, still sitting. He said to his wife, I see this young man, it's two days in a row, he's sitting there. He's just sitting there. Something's wrong. he back the third day to work. And he thought, I better do something. So he stopped the car and he talked to him, brought him home to him and his wife. And it just so happened, I think it was the following week, this man's church were putting on a, a vacation Bible school. This is very popular in America. And he said to the young man, I'm going to send you to vacation Bible school. He had no idea what that was. He hadn't ever read a Bible, didn't know what it was, didn't, didn't know anything about Jesus, nothing. Young Bill Wilson, 12 years old, went to vacation Bible school, got saved, <laughs> and grew up to start the biggest Sunday school in the world. in Brooklyn, New York. Got an old bus, began to drive around the neighborhood, picking up the kids, talked to the parents, picked up the kids, brought them to this building, taught them the things of God. That many wanted to come, he had another bus, and then another bus, another bus. By the time he finished, he had 22,000 children coming to Sunday school in New York. In fact, it's still going on to this day, And it's in five other nations. And today, in any given week, there's 100,000 children that pass through his ministry. He's been beaten. He's been stabbed. He's been shot in the face. I've heard him a couple of times speak. He's a fascinating speaker. A lot of his business today is going around the world telling about what he's doing and trying to raise money for it. Obviously, it costs a lot to do this. But every time he's home of a weekend, he always Drives the bus. He said, that keeps my feet on the ground. He drives the bus. Harlan Sanders. (laughs) Colonel Sanders to you. In his his life story, uh, he tells how that he said he was a God-fearing man, but he had a foul mouth. There's a dichotomy for you. <laughs> and one day in, in Mississippi, he he was walking down the main street and a pastor by the name of Wayman Rogers from Evangel Temple stopped him. Didn't know who he was, just stopped him. Invited him to come along to church. They were having a mission. And he went to that church and he got saved. <laughs> Now, our former pastor preached for Wayman Rogers. And Wayman Rogers told him, he says when he gets saved, he says he gave our church a tithe. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine the tithe of a Kentucky fried chicken? <laughs> That'd be a big tithe, and it was. And to the day he died, he gave millions to the kingdom of God. God had a purpose for him. He thought it was just to make finger licking good chicken. But he became such a supporter of God's work around the world. So it's wonderful, isn't it? What God uses. So realize that God has got a, a particular purpose for your life. And then realize that God can use you in spite of your shortcomings. Every one of us has got shortcomings. Moses said, I am slow of tongue. I cannot speak. Jeremiah said, I am but a child. Very few people, when God comes to them with a calling that they feel they're ready for it, or they're capable of it, those are the people that God wants because then they have to trust him. Saul said, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family is the least of all the families in the tribe of Benjamin. In fact, when God called Saul, King Saul in the Old Testament, God called Saul, he ran and hid. Actually, he ran and hid among the stuff the Bible says. They had to go and find him. Trouble was, he didn't stay that humble, and that was his downfall if he'd just stayed that way. In fact, later on, Samuel said, if you had just, if you had just stayed humble. Emma said, I'm neither a prophet nor a son of a prophet. Paul said, I was the chief of sinners, the least of the apostles. And yet God used him mightily. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, of just... Just read this, 2 Corinthians 12. Verse 9, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities and my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and weaknesses and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak... Then I am strong. When I feel weak, then I trust God the most. Thomas Edison, uh, not totally deaf, but quite close to it. As a young boy, a teacher sent a note home from school to give to his mother. And it says, this boy, (sighs) this boy basically is not going to amount to anything. In fact, he's stupid. How do you like a teacher like that? But in spite of all of that, Thomas Edison went on to be one of the great American inventors of all time. And we owe so much to Thomas Alva Edison, the microphone, the incandescent light bulb, the phonograph, which is the precursor to the record player, which is the precursor to our iPods and our digital gizmos today, and a hundred other inventions. Beethoven, in the end, became so deaf, they said he couldn't even hear a clap of thunder. And yet, during his deafness, he wrote some of his greatest music, because the music was in his soul. So you see, in spite of shortcomings, John Milton went blind one of England's greatest poets. And in his blindness, he wrote Paradise Lost, which is famous throughout the world. Robert Louis Stevenson, from the day he was born, was in poor health. In fact, they thought he wouldn't make it when he was born. And as he grew up, he was continually sick in fact he wrote to a friend one time and says in this past 14 years I have not had one day without being ill. Not one day. In spite of that he was a prodigious storyteller. He went to Samoa at one point for advice for the good of his health and the Samoans loved him because they called him the great storyteller. And because he he couldn't enter into work the way he would love to or couldn't do games the way other boys did. His whole world was imagination. He would invent stories. And what did he leave us? Treasure Island. Great classic. And Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde that to this very day are being sold all over the world in spite of his illness. And so... In spite of our shortcomings, it may not be illness, it may not be lack of education, it could be something else entirely different. But to us, it's a shortcoming. But in spite of it, God can still use us. Because then He gets the glory. Then, thirdly, remember that the stamp of God is on your life God's kite mark, God's trademark. Is on your life. Genesis 127. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. <laughs> far, far above any other of God's creatures, God made us special. We're the only creature on earth that's made in the image of God. <laughs> and what an image that is. Not talking about this physical appearance, but the qualities God has endowed us with that the animals don't have makes us very, very different as a creature. Ah, you may say, that that image was marred by sin and in our fallen state in the Garden of Eden. True! Absolutely true. For sure, that image was marred. But second Corinthians 5:17 says, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. All things become new." Sure, we lost a lot in Adam's fall, but we gain much more. In Christ, the last Adam. And so God has marked you. And God stamped us upon your life. And God has singled us out as different than all of his creation. And he loves us. And he loves to use us in whatever capacity he sees fit and that we are willing to open ourselves up to be used. So many things in our lives that want to hold us down and make us feel that we're useless, that we're hopeless, that we're giftless and talentless and all the rest of it. But it's a lie. Because God has endowed us. And he wants us to realize that and to use us. His imprimatur, his stump, is on our lives. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are his workmanship. He molded us, he made us, he created us. He put within us everything that we need to carry out his will for our lives. There is nothing we lack to carry out his will for our lives. He put it in us. Often we don't recognize it. Often we don't use it. Often we doubt if we have it. But whatever he has called us to do, he has given us the abilities and the gifts and the talents to do it. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Jesus was a master carpenter. Joseph, his guardian father, taught him well. And I could imagine that everything he made, he made it the best that could be made. He would be meticulous, he had that ability. And whatever he wants us to do and make with our lives, he has given us the ability. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. With all of our shortcomings, with all of our failures, with all of our weaknesses, every time we do something for God in his kingdom that he's pleased to bless, then he will get the glory. <laughs> he will get the glory. 2 Corinthians 3 and 5, Paul says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything, sorry, not that, we are, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Now here's a man speaking who was a top theologian, who was highly academic, who had a great forensic mind, and he was willing to put all of that aside to count that as nothing that I might win Christ. So that at the end of the day, isn't it interesting that the man who was a, an expert in all Jewish religion God sent them to the Gentiles. And Peter, who'd never sat under the great rabbis, he sent to the Jews. Why did he do that? So that he got the glory. He got the glory. Yes, Paul preached to Jews, and yes, Peter did as well, and Paul preached to Gentiles and all the rest of it. They all preached every bullet, but their main thrust. Paul was to the Gentiles, Peter was to the Jews. Romans 8, 28, 31, will finish. For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Hmm. If that doesn't tell you the stump of God is on your life, nothing will. That you're called of God, raised up of God, You may be the one in your family. You may be the one in your workplace. You may be the one in your schoolroom. You may be the one beside your neighbors. But God's got a purpose for you and for me. And the trick is to fulfill it. To say, Lord, I'll try with everything that's in me to do what you've called me to do the best that I can do it. And that's all you can do, isn't it? The best that you can do for the kingdom of God. And you'll find that God will be pleased to use you. So don't do yourself down. Don't think it's only those who stand behind a podium. Don't think that. I heard somebody on TV saying the other night I thought was a good point. (laughs) They said, think of the billions that are in the world today and think how many are preachers. There might be a few million, but there's not billions. But there's billions of ordinary people who will never, ever stand behind a pulpit and preach a sermon. And God has got a purpose for their life and God wants to use them for the same kingdom that the preacher's being used in, the exact same kingdom. And God can use you where preachers cannot go. I cannot go into your office. I cannot go into your next-door neighbor's house freely. I can't do that. I can't go into your schoolroom. I can't go into your uni class. I can't go into any of those places. But you can, because that's where God has got you as his witness, as his man, his woman, his boy, his girl. Amen? Let's pray. Prophet Isaiah said, Here am I, Lord, send me. And God sent him. The title of this we message tonight was Lord Use Me. You see God using other people. But say, Lord, use me. Whatever way you choose use me for your glory Lord I thank that you have gifted every person in this room tonight you have put something within each and every one of us certainly you have put your Holy Spirit within us you have put your word within us but Lord you have got abilities within us we can use for your honor and for your glory. So Lord as we go out into our world this week, our world wherever it is may you be pleased Lord to use us to whatever degree you see fit and even though we may never ever stand behind a pulpit but Lord you can use us every bit as well in that workplace. Let us be your spokesman, your spokeswoman. Let us be your witness. So thank you, Lord, for all that you've done in each of us and all that you plan to do through each of us. Until you come or call, we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast.